episode of the Religion Prof podcast. Uh, today I'll be continuing my conversation with Ankur Gupta from last time. And immediately after that episode, or even probably before we ended it, but uh, towards the end of it and after I clicked stop, we found ourselves talking about uh, some interesting things related to uh, math and computer science. And I asked Ankur whether uh, it isn't a sort of a strange co-opting of a essentially a, a, a very, very complicated calculator uh, to take this thing and make it do, you know, video games and record sound in order to make a podcast and be the internet that allows us to listen to podcasts and things like that. And I think it gets that interesting question about, you know, the nature of reality as well as the nature of computing and what we're doing. So Ankur, thank you for being uh, back here yet again and for continuing the conversation with me. Um, and you were just sharing some thoughts on this uh, before we started that I really just want to jump back into. Yeah, why don't you um, bring everybody up to speed on what we were talking about? Yeah, so uh, I asked the question of whether, you know, um, well, actually, I told a story about going to school with people who were much more math nerds than I was and who had found a way uh, to take a calculator, right, which was clearly something designed to do math and use it to play a simulated baseball game, right? So you'd type in certain things and it would, you know, do an equation and it would give you a result and that you would uh, treat that as, you know, whether you hit the ball and how it hit and things like that. And it strikes me that, you know, computers are, you know, the next, 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 next thing, you know, along the sequence of developing, you know, the calculator. In fact, in some languages, calculator or something like that is still the word for a computer. Uh, although the English word is often uh, having an influence and uh, taking the place of that. When we get to Wii Sports, when we get to interactive baseball games now, um, it's one possible interpretation of what's going on that we're still taking something that is designed to do math, just do it better, and forcing it to display things and process things and give us to replicate you know, an entertainment experience. And I wondered whether that isn't you know, indicative of the fact that we're taking a tool designed for one thing and pushing it along and you know, making it more flexible, but maybe missing opportunities to see whether we shouldn't be reinventing the tool itself. Um, in a different way, if what we really want is either you know intelligence and creative thought, or lateral thinking, or baseball simulation. So, what are your thoughts on that, Ankur? I think uh, when you look at scenarios like this, and you're trying to figure out, okay, what is it about these things that make them inherently what they are? The the cudgel, if you will, or the hammer that we have to sort of figure that out or to do that thing or to learn something about it has technically been mathematics. I mean, if you think of the general growth of human development from the technological point of view and even from personal growth like as a as a race in a society, typically it's because we have identified some mathematical property or applied some mathematical principle to the world around us thus allowing us to understand it better and then leverage the universe around us and the environment around us to do better things. Um, 
you know, like we, we figured out how to fly, we figured out in the Industrial Revolution what an assembly line definition is, and that's a very common concept called pipelining, which has been codified mathematically to explain why parallel processing is a good thing. We use it in parallel processing today. There are also very simple kinds of ideas. Um, so I, let me give you two examples where I think that we've applied mathematics in the world on things that are patently not mathematical and we've found some value out of them. Mm. Um, at some point, somebody was doing an analysis of uh, paintings in the Renaissance and the Impressionist time period and I'm not exactly sure what that research was I don't have it off the top of my head but they were trying to figure out what it is about these paintings that makes them beautiful to us which is a very like they were trying to figure out what is beauty right mm. very esoteric question very difficult to think about and ultimately they realized that this this golden ratio kept appearing over and over and over again in some of the pieces of art that we found the most beautiful and that same golden ratio appears in nature in flowers in petal length and all of this other kind of stuff and so what we did is we essentially attached some mathematical explanation to this uh, to try to see what it is about it that makes it feel beautiful to us now why is the golden ratio beautiful? That, we don't know. But we do definitely know that if we attach the golden ratio to these kinds of things, we can make the conclusion that more people find them beautiful than not, or that there's something about this there. Is that an attempt to replace the art with just a piece of paper that has the golden ratio written on it over and over again? I don't think so. I think the point is to try to help us to understand the world around us, and sometimes math is beautiful. I mean, I think, you know, when you come to a conclusion that's based upon a series of understandings that are fundamental to the nature around you, you don't really feel like you're railing against it as much as you do, man, I've understood the world around me in a little better way, applying this mathematical principle. Here's another really quick example, just to give you an idea. Have you ever played that guessing game, like pick a number from one to a hundred and then I'll mm -hmm. try to figure it out? Mm -hmm. So. What, what's the best strategy? Like, if I, if I have a number and you have to guess, what's the first number you would guess to try to figure out what my number is? Uh, From 1 to 100. Yeah, probably somewhere in the middle. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Now, that seems like it's a good idea to you, right? Have you ever thought about mathematically why that's a good idea? Uh, yeah, dividing, divide and conquer is although uh, not the no no yeah. that's it, yeah. actually in computer science it is exactly called divide and conquer that is the name of the mathematical principle so you're right okay. um, and and you know f uh, forgive me for making this interactive no, not um, at all. in that sense but um, most people would probably pick fifty maybe they pick 55 just to mix it up or whatever but the point is they're going to pick something around the middle just as yeah. you guessed as your intuition and the reason is because you're unlikely to be right with that number right it's most likely a throwaway guess i would be a bad player of the game if i chose 50 because most likely that's what people do. So why are you guessing 50? You're not guessing 50 because you think that's actually my number. You're guessing it for a different reason. You're guessing it because regardless of what answer I give you back, if I tell you that that's too low or I tell you that that's too high, regardless of which way I tell you, you've eliminated 
the largest number of numbers possible, right? If I tell you the number is high, then you know that the numbers from 1 to 49 are completely gone. And now you don't have to think about them anymore. So what you're doing is you're playing an elimination game, and that maximizes the numbers you get to eliminate. Now, computer science is built upon the guessing game. Mm -hmm. Like the very simplest thing that we just talked about, the game we've been playing since we were kids, computer scientists realized the answer to the following question, and it's a fundamental underpinning of computer science in general. How many guesses do you have to make taking half of the numbers mm -hmm. each time until you force me into a number. And there's a mathematical representation yeah. for that, there's a formula for that answer, and we can figure that out. But is that me forcing mathematics on top of a game that we've been playing? I would argue not necessarily. It's me making an attempt to try to understand the world around me through the lens of a tool that we have available to us. So. Yeah, and I was I was going. My initial uh, response was going to be to push back, just because I think podcasts should be interactive and engaging, right. and uh, <laughs> and we we agree with each other way too often uh, for uh, to keep things interesting and lively. But I was going to push back and note that that's very much a math based game. But yes. if we think about yeah. something like baseball, I mean, it's it's physics, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's yeah. it's 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 projectile and force and distance and you know it, it is inherently mathematical and so um, I guess the question that ha we should then discuss because it brings baseball and the guessing game and computer science and these things back to direct contact with our project what's the relationship between math and wisdom I spent a long time trying to figure out the answer to that mm. <laughs> and uh, um the, the closest that I could come to was a claim that wisdom can be represented possibly through the notion of summarization of information. And uh, that this concept, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, I think, the idea of a parable being a simplified version of a series of life lessons, for example... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, or a proverb being much the same thing, that it's a single sentence that sort of has a whole host of depth. You know, there are many sermons, I think, that happen in churches that are on the topic of literally a single proverb. Hmm. Um, I think that that's a really good notion of what wisdom is. I don't think it's the entire picture. I think there's context and there's some human components to it. But if you... If you distill it down mathematically, I think that that is one fairly compelling definition for wisdom, is that wisdom is the same or can be described by some notion of optimal compression of data. Um, and again, is, am I holding a candle to the actual notion of wisdom? I don't know. It's my best attempt to apply a tool that we have to understand the world better around me. And if I could figure out how to be wise all the time, I'd make much better decisions. <laughs> Do you find that computers actually help you uh, where, your, where your own human wisdom breaks down? <laughs> um, I, I don't think that there is a computer out there right now that can replace 
decisions that I would characterize as having to require wisdom. I don't I don't think that that's there yet. Yeah, but can they help? They could. I mean, if if my claim is true that data compression is a part of that, then they're helping already. Mm. Um, they're helping on massive data. They do certainly. I mean, when you look at an Amazon page, for example, and it says, you know, you might also like this item. Is that wisdom or is that intelligence? I mean, you know, when yeah. you hear a recommendation from a friend about something or the other, do you consider that wise? Do you consider mm -hmm. that the result of experience? It's a fun conversation to ask yeah. how you interpret that uh, piece of advice. Um, yeah, and certainly insight, you know, which that reflects, you know, insight into one's preferences, you know, getting to know someone we expect. A, f a good friend to make you know really good suggestions on you know what we might like to eat or what we might like to watch or listen to or things like that, uh, based on a knowledge that not everyone has. And so, uh, to the extent that insight is knowledge plus, you know, it's uh, intelligence plus, it's it's going deeper. Then it's at least moving in the direction of wisdom. Uh, whether whether shopping recommendations are wisdom, I think different philosophers and different shoppers probably have different uh, opinions on that. Um, but I think I think it's interesting to think about the ways that you know machines can spot things in data that we miss, right? Just as you know, our wisdom in understanding the world around us is enhanced by you know machines like telescopes that show us yeah not everything revolves around the earth and there's other stuff happening and simply highlighting data that the the naked eye missed changes things and requires new wisdom on our part but also is is teaching us right i mean sort of the universe is teaching us and the machines are teaching us right and so i think the 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 fact that machines can organize data in a way that we can't, uh, can do it more fi effectively, efficiently, more comprehensively, uh, there, there isn't a question at the moment of them replacing us, but to the extent that they enhance our abilities or do the things that we feel it's important to do and do them better, uh, surely that's, you know, if, if, the, if the effort itself reflects wisdom, or is to achieve a wise outcome, then can a machine that helps us accomplish a wise goal not have any wisdom about it itself? Uh, I think it could. Uh, certainly, if it's an aid to a wise decision, I mean, you know, it can get an assist in the basketball term um, for, for helping with the wisdom. So maybe wisdom assistance is easier. Um, but even if it doesn't directly contribute to the wisdom task, I mean, you can think of a computer as allowing us to be wise in the following way, that it takes all of the mundane intellectual decisions that are based purely on logic out of our need for consideration so that we can focus on the things that are uniquely wisdom-based. You know, I mean, that's one way to think of computing, right, is that, okay, well, maybe we can do wisdom computationally, maybe we can't do it computationally, but certainly we give ourselves space to make more wise decisions because something is handling the non-wise decisions for yeah. us. You know, I mean, that sort of is true in just the trajectory of the human race. Before, everybody used to farm because everybody had to make enough food to survive because we weren't very efficient about 
tilling and growing crop and all of this kind of thing and then preservation and storage and transportation and all that and now a very very small percentage worldwide of people are farmers because you just don't need that many people right um, so it's freed up the rest of the world to not farm and we've benefited from that right I mean the industrial revolution all of these different kinds of things happened as a result of the fact that we said you know what we're gonna apply machinery and efficient techniques to these kinds of things so that we can focus on these other kinds of things. Mm. And uh, that may be the approach that happens. I, I'm being a little bit dodgy about artificial wisdom, and the reason is because we really don't know the answer there, right? And uh, I think that if you apply a context, I can answer that question much more clearly. Um, so if we take a concrete example, like one that you said you wanted to talk about, and so maybe we should just throw that one into the mix, um, something like ER scheduling, right? I mean, emergency room situations. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, that seems to be you know, directly the kind of thing that computers are designed for, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's woven into their very fabric, both the, the scheduling in general, but also the prioritization. Uh, in a sense, prioritization does involve wisdom, at least, or, you know, poor prioritization reflects lack of wisdom, I think we'd say, right? right? And there's all those, there are those proverbs that try to teach us this, you know, the ones that say, you know, put the, you know, important stuff in first, right? You know, the, the, the bottle, it's like, how much room is in this, you know, it's like, you, you put the big rocks in first, and then you have room for the other stuff, right? Figuring out how to prioritize, putting the important stuff in first, it's crucial. And yet, in a crunch situation or with an overwhelming amount of data, oftentimes you know, we feel overwhelmed, but we also make poor decisions as, and unwise decisions as human beings. Uh, how can machines help or and how can machines potentially cause harm if uh, they are used unwisely or their algorithms reflect uh, uh, biases or uh, skewing of data or problematic assumptions that humans have? I mean, what... What's interesting about ER scheduling in relation to our, our uh, project? So uh, if, if you're not familiar with the ER scheduling problem, let me just explain that for, for those of us who aren't quite familiar, because I, I know that we both are, but not everybody listening may be. Um, ER scheduling is essentially the question of the following. You have a certain number of rooms, you have a certain number of clinicians and physicians, and a limited number of equipment. Um, to spread across all of these places, and you're trying to address patients as they come into the ER. So you have to provide triage to figure out, for example, what their uh, level of emergency is, whether they're just there for a headache or they have a spleen that's kind of displaced from where it should be and needs to be addressed in some fashion, um, or you know, somebody just has a flesh wound, but actually it's very, very serious because they have no legs, that's a throwback to money. I was going to say, tis but a flesh wound. Tis but a flesh wound. Um, so you have to triage to figure out what kind of level they're at, what requirements they have, and essentially come up with a profile of, this is what this person needs in X amount of time to do this in order for survival or stabilization or whatever the metric is that we're going to use in that ER. And the question is, given a constantly incoming stream of such people, how do you maximize something, 
um, or minimize something so as to make the ER work more efficiently. So as an example, you could choose to minimize wait time. And what that means is you say, all right, I'm going to minimize the amount of time a person has to wait. I don't care if they live or die. I don't care if they stabilize. I don't care about anything else. I care about minimizing the wait time. That waiting room has to be empty. And so you prioritize that. That's a very bad ER, just FYI, but it is it is an ER that you can build. I right? think I think the BMV has adopted something like that, uh, <laughs> but that's another matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, the BMV. <laughs> um, scheduling there, by the way, very rarely has high priority. So mm. <laughs> there you go. Um, anyways, the so another version that you could do is you could maximize survival. So then what you might have is a situation where, okay, you triage patients. The most critically dangerous patients are treated first. Um, or the ones, alternatively, the ones that are most likely to stabilize after a certain set of procedures. So instead of just focusing on, okay, the most critically hurt people, but instead the ones that are most likely to survive, come to the front of the queue and the other ones wait, that clearly doesn't maximize, or that clearly doesn't minimize wait time because you may have somebody who has a headache that sits in the ER waiting for 14 hours because every time they're about to hit the front of the line, somebody who has a serious issue comes to the front immediately because they can be stabilized and this person is already stable in a certain sense they're not going to just keel over and die um, so in those kinds of circumstances there are, are heuristics and algorithms that have been designed to optimize on some of these constraints and I've patterned this in a very black and white objective fashion kind of way where we care only about stabilization or only about wait time but you might weight these different objectives by saying something like okay well we care 50% about this and 30% about that and 20% about this and you come up with some kind of objective score to determine whether or not a person should be treated or not and then move them accordingly that's a long-winded way of me trying to explain um, something and again uh, Feel free to interrupt if I'm if I'm going in too far here, but uh, uh, the idea is is that you're typically thinking about the difference between starving a patient so that they never get to the front of the line, which is an issue, or thrashing, which is that every time you give you give every person two minutes, so it's ultimately very fair, but if you pull a heart surgeon out after two minutes of surgery, that's probably not gonna maximize survival. So those are the main issues that you have to consider. And in a very specific context, we can solve this problem in, in computer science. So that was the, a bit longer of an explanation, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, but I think, I think that's actually, you know, really in a lot of ways central to the kinds of the kinds of issues that we've been talking about and the kinds of realizations about ethics that we've been having. Because from one perspective, giving everyone the same amount of time is fair, right? And so the, the key question is, how do you define what is ethical, what is optimal, what is desirable in this, right? Um, and again, in a situation where there are competing goods, right? And so you actually have to decide what you're going to prioritize and by how much in relation to other things. Uh, 
machines can do this better if if we clear if we clarify in our minds and in our programming what it is that we want to accomplish is that a safe statement they can yes yeah, yeah they can process the data more effectively yep and then the interesting thing is that you know a machine presumably could never work out you know, a machine of the sort that exists today could never work out simply through computation what it should prioritize if you give it an objective function it can do that right but that's basically that's basically answering the question for it saying right. aim for this yes. right this is more important than that right. that sort of thing absolutely right? yes and so i think it's really interesting that you know there have been you know philosophers and theologians ethicists who've essentially said that the same thing happens in the realm of human ethical decision making that you can compute you can weigh but that process will never tell you what you should care about right, right. and that's something that is done through a, a valuing process that is not computational in nature it's partly emotional and it's partly you know it's it has to do with probably a lot of things but it doesn't seem to be um, a rational mathematical processing of numbers type of type of conclusion it's a it's a conviction rather than a uh, a conclusion of a of a data processing um, sequence yeah I mean at the end of the day, I think that you have to consider the fact that human beings will look at the same topic and decide different things. So that clearly means that there isn't some obviously nature-defined objective result that you need to get, right? Like when you say, it's not like two people are looking at two plus two and one somebody says, well, I think that kind of looks like five. And the other person's like, I'm thinking 3.5, and they're both right, right? That's yeah. not the kind okay. of scenario that we're talking about. We're talking about scenarios where you can both look at a situation or a circumstance and have different opinions about it and both have valid opinions, right? Yeah, well, I think you know, the, we, we often go to 2 plus 2 equals 4 or 3.5, you know, right. like, yeah. and we go to something simple like that. But, of course, if if ethical matters were simple, then we we would probably teach better uh, do a bit of teaching to the test but teach in a way that got people to learn that basic you know ethical math that sort of thing Um, but I think I think the interesting question is you know because if we look at Facebook there are all these memes and puzzles and things that circulate where it's like okay if this represents this and this plus this plus this is this you know then what does this mean Mm -hmm. and people get them wrong left right and center yeah they miss something or they miss that you know multiplication takes priority and so you have to do that first or they they forget the order in which they need and so how do we tell whether ethical decision making is like complicated math that some people have trouble with or whether it's not like math at all can computers help us with this I think in some cases you can make an objective decision that maybe the problem isn't so complex but it just seems like it because we haven't worked out the math behind why it needs to work a certain way and i think that's what you're kind of implying that there may be problems like that for example flight didn't seem mathematically possible in you know 1894 Um, we did work out the math for it to work and then we got it to do that Um, 
And that made, that was clearly an example of a case where we just didn't have the math worked out in our head. Ethics could be like that, but I find that it's less likely to be like that than some of these other things. Because in, in some of these things, we're making value judgments about something. I mean, uh, not to try to bring up any um, uh, emotionally or, yeah. or morally charged topics, but the, the concept of uh, euthanizing um, or, or euthanization as a, as a medical tool for elderly people was a big deal in the 1990s, in the late 90s, when Kevorkian was a big deal. And there were people that were looking at that, at that scenario and saying, well, we believe this way or we believe this other way. Do euthanize, allow euthanization, don't allow it. And I'm not sure that there's a crystal clear answer for that question. I think it comes down to a person's belief system and, and how they interpret the world and all of those kinds of things. But from a mathematical, computer science, statistical, actuarial kind of point of view, they went crazy with it. They, I mean, not crazy with it. What they did is they basically said, you know what? Let's just come up with a measure called quali. And that's basically, uh, I don't ex exactly remember what the acronym stands for, but fundamentally it just means this is the number of, uh, the number and quality of life years that you have left. It's the number of quality years you have left to live. So it's like, okay, if we undergo this treatment, I'm expected to live two good years and 13 bad, as opposed to me not doing it, I'll live four good years and six bad. And then they came up with a numerical measure for it, um, and they do that. Insurance industries do this too. They figure out, okay, how much are you willing to spend to not have to worry about making a complicated decision about whether you can afford a procedure? And most of us are willing to pay some amount of money to not have to yeah. make that decision because in those emotional or stressful or highly uh, pressurized times, we just want it to work. We want a doctor, we want care, we want comfort, and we want a solution. And we don't care about money at that point, right? So, but the hospital cares about money even in that moment for you. So, you know, how you interpret yeah. a situation, I think, I think some kinds of situations are just those that are not approachable because there are two valid paths, at least on the surface. And I don't think math can get us to the decision of should we euthanize or not, right? Like, I don't think math gets us there. So, yeah. yeah, so to bring it back to flight, you know, because yeah. that I thought was a really good example that we, we could even stick with. Yeah. You know, a computer can really help us with the engineering problem of how to, how to achieve flight and how to right. make it more efficient and things right. like that. Uh, but computers of the sort that we will conceivably have in the, the near term, never mind today, are not the sorts of devices that could say pursuing flight is worthwhile, right? Like attempting to achieve human flight is a worthwhile pursuit or something like oh, that, I see. right? Mm -hmm. um, and in much the same way, you know, a, a, a computer could really help us figure out, you know, healthcare systems, right? Which are more expensive, which achieve certain particular ends, like, you know, more p patients survive, more people actually get to see doctors, more people you know, do not go bankrupt as a result of, you know, needing procedures, things like that. But those those calculations in themselves will not ever answer for us the question, therefore, this one is better than that one. 
in a way that will satisfy all human beings, right? It involves a certain valuing of either, you know, I want the best care that money can buy, and I don't want to have to wait in long lines, even though I could afford not to, because we have a system that is is making sure other people who can't afford to are getting health care, right? And we might, again, say, you know, some of us would say, that's a very selfish view of things to take, right, and criticize that. But it's not clear that we can use math to challenge that outlook on the world, right? And so I think that, you know, one of the things we're finding is that there is something that it's it's hard to know exactly where it comes from or how we do it uh, precisely, but there's this valuing of pursuits, valuing of outcomes that requires math in order to figure out whether you're achieving it, right? That's why assessment is a good thing, it's beneficial. But assessment processes, data calculation rubrics will not tell us what we should be valuing, what we should be looking for in the data, what we should be um, trying to achieve, um, when we should be doing something even though it's more expensive to us, right? Like, uh, it's much cheaper to just you know settle the lawsuits that result from these exploding cars. No, right. it's it's you know the movie, right? Yes, uh, right. Yes. I think we've seen that movie, right? It's actually, but you know, to say it's it's better to do the more expensive thing of recalling them, fixing them, redesigning them, involves something other than math. Right. I love when we get to talk about these things. I love this project that gets us thinking about these things and uh, hopefully learning about computing and ethics and hopefully when we have a conversation around a microphone, also getting other people uh, thinking about ethics and computing and real-world applications of both and the intersection of both. And so we're at the end of uh, our time for another episode. Uh, Thank you again, Ankur, for uh, being here uh, in the sound booth with me yet again. And to everyone who's been listening... Thanks so much and hope you've enjoyed it and bye for now.